make a better place with my own two hands. Make a kinder place. Oh, with my oh, with my own two hands. With my own, oh, with my own two hands. With my own, with my own two hands. Welcome to another episode of My Own Two Hands, a monthly public affairs program about sustainability problems in the Roaring Fork Valley and beyond. Uh, We talk to sustainability practitioners who are coming up with solutions to our problems at any scale from local to global. Today we're in the studio with Andres Better, who goes by Andy. Andy's a current student of Colorado Mountain College's Bachelor of Science program in ecosystem science and stewardship. And as part of that, he earned a permaculture design certificate from the college this past summer. And over the years, he's developed a passion for documenting biodiversity in his home country of Ecuador and in Colorado, where he grew up. Andy has studied insects and arachnids in particular, and he posts beautiful close-up photographs of bugs that he shares on his Instagram page, Andy Better Bugs. He's done herpetofauna research, insect and arachnid surveys, and he's contributed to Ecuador's National Herbarium Fungarium with preserved fungal specimens. He's going to tell us all about it today. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for having me, Adrian. Oh, thank you for taking the time to come come be with us. It's a beautiful day. You could have been doing a lot of other things. Oh, well, today I was doing some beautiful things in the greenhouse at CMC Spring Valley. So that was really fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, thank you for helping us build abundance there. Yeah, of course. So tell us about your story. I I, I stole some of your thunder already, but, uh, you know, start with um, where you come from, where'd you grow up, how'd you get here? Yeah, um, well, so my parents and my two older brothers are from Ecuador, and I still have a lot of family there, but my parents moved to... First, Miami, which is where I was born, and then they moved to Boulder. My dad got a a good job there. And so that's really where I grew up in Boulder. And I think just growing up there with surrounded by nature and also coming back to Ecuador once every three years or so, growing up to visit family, my favorite part would be like when I got to go to the cloud forest or take a weekend trip with my grandma, especially, she would take me and my family to uh, the cloud forest. And that was my favorite Mm. place ever because it was just like all night long frog noises. And I would like drag uh, my family members out of bed, like, come on, go on a walk with me. Because of course I was too young to go by myself. Mm. And I would just walk around these gardens, around these little eco lodges and look at everything that I could find and then sort of started getting into like insects and biters uh, arachnids and all these different creatures growing up always like during recess I was the bug kid going (laughs) out and catching (laughs) catching bugs and looking at them yeah well I had the pleasure of having you in class this summer and um, I had a chance to observe firsthand that you have a remarkable ability to just see the life that is around you and you actually it comes to you i i've literally seen bugs just appear and land on you as you approach yeah i think another reason for why i find like the smallest interesting bugs is because when i was growing up 
I was always the shortest, skinniest, smallest person in school. I don't know why my growth was so stunted, <laughs> stunted until I was like in high school. But yeah, I think I related with the smaller things. And really the majority of organisms on this planet are smaller than your thumbnail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people don't really realize that. But I guess I had this relationship with the smaller things because I felt small as well. And I could relate to them. Yeah, I think it just comes down to understanding them a little bit more. Like understanding how they perceive the world. Like if you if you blow on a small insect, it's like super intense for it. So whenever I go to pick them up, I gently like put my finger under their legs instead of over their body because they're engineered <laughs> theoretically to avoid anything that's going to step on them, you know? So just be gentle with them and they will be friendly. Mm, yeah. Great. So this is a show about sustainability. So we, we like to ask our guests, um, what does sustainability mean for you? Mm, good question. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think I tend to look at more regenerative at this point in our society and what the world has become. Uh, you know, like it's kind of a cliche, but we can't really sust- like sustain some of the corporations and businesses that we have right now. And we want to work more regeneratively at this point. Um, But really, in essence, like, to me, it means, like, how can we continually live on this planet and not deplete it of its resources and actually thrive and have all the other organisms on the planet thrive as well along with us? Mm-hmm. So you mean our footprint doesn't have to be negative? It doesn't. We are a keystone species uh, if we want to be. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. So tell us about uh, how you got involved with fungi. Yeah. Um, well, so I went to CSU in Fort Collins to study zoology and actually like minor in entomology, the study of insects. And by the time I left CSU, I was obsessed with mushrooms. (laughs) Um, And so I came into CSU already obsessed with insects. uh, I had like studied them for a couple of years and uh, knew so much that when I took the intro to entomology class, it was really boring (laughs) because I was like, um, I could be a TA in this class. I, yeah, I, I mean, I could have almost taught that class. And I really wished I would have been able to, like, take more advanced classes. Um, but really, the, the environment, the atmosphere wasn't right for me, and I didn't want to be in lectures with 200 students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then COVID started to happen, like, the lockdown kind of started, and it was literally at the same time that the movie Fantastic Fungi came out, mm. one of my friends uh, started talking about magic mushrooms, and I was like, whoa, that's super interesting. And so they invited me to go watch Fantastic Fungi, which was showing in theaters in this little theater in Fort Collins. 
is the great documentary by Louis Schwartzberg. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got to see it um, premiere actually at the oh, wow. Telluride Mushroom Festival. Oh man. Yeah. That must have been awesome. Yeah, he he brought it out there cuz he said he wanted the family to see it first. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that, that had a big impact on you? Definitely inspirational to see like all the benefits, uh, medicinal benefits of all these different mushrooms and that there was just like such an amazing community uh, around mycology. Like entomology has that too, but I, <laughs> I don't think you get like the same people that you have in mycology that are just so open and chill and welcoming and you know they come from all these diverse backgrounds and also they're yeah they're just so like welcoming and open i forgot the word that i was going to say um but oh yeah like there's a lot of citizen scientists in mycology and so they don't all come from academia um and that's kind of before i went to college i took like uh, a gap year and then I took two gap years between uh, CSU and CMC. And I did science during those years. And I was like an amateur mycologist, entomologist. And I like firmly believe that you don't need to get a degree. Uh, you don't need to be an academic to advance science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> to get back to uh, how I got into mycology... Yeah, I I gained that obsession from the inspiration from Fantastic Fungi and Friends, and then I took that, and uh, when I left Fort Collins because of the COVID lockdown, I went back to my parents' place in Boulder, and whenever I could, I would take my bike out, bike around Boulder, and photograph and document all of the uh, mushrooms and plants that I could find, and just learn like what I could forage, what's medicinal in my area. Um, yeah, and just whenever I had the time, I was out there. Awesome. Well, um, I think that's a way that um, a lot of people get into mycology and um, botany and lots of things is um, just learning about their environment and, and trying to figure out what, what sources of food uh, we can use. There's something so beautiful about how these organisms are just doing their thing always out there just a few feet or inches away from us. And we don't have to do anything. They, they're already doing it. Um, so um, maybe you could um, talk to us a little bit about the connections between mushrooms and insects. You've, t- you've talked to us about the difference between people who are into studying uh, entomology versus mycology, but what, what, what about um, some of the relationships there that you've learned about that you find interesting? Yeah, uh, there's a ton of uh, like relationships between insects and fungi. And actually, if you look at our taxonomy, um, insects are animals, fungi are fungi. But we are slightly related, and you can tell from a characteristic that insects have, which is chitin, uh, and it's like, I think it's their cellular structure. Um, it's uh, Chitin is like a molecule that creates their 
uh, exoskeleton. Mm -hmm. And for mushrooms, it also uh, helps with structure. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's one of the reasons why it's hard for us to uh, digest chitin or digest insects mm -hmm. and mushrooms when mm -hmm. they're raw, uh, which is why it's better to cook them down and break mm -hmm. that chitin up. Um, but I have a really interesting relationship between mushrooms, plants, and insects, and it's in the cloud forests of Ecuador. There's this beautiful genus of orchids called Dracula, Dracula orchids. And so to put it short, um, the orchid has a labellum that's upside down, and this is like a structure inside the flower, and it's splayed out. Like, say, if you put your hands together and then point them down, kind of put your fingers out, kind of looks like that, and it has these false gills, and it actually gives off the scent of, like, a rotting oyster mushroom or some kind of mushroom that you'd find in the forest. And this attracts fruit flies um, in, the, or in the genus Zygothrica, which have these really spindly, like, long eyes that match the vibe of, of Dracula. <laughs> um, and yeah, they, they're attracted to this flower because they are normally feed or lay their eggs on mushrooms, but they, the, the flower gives off pheromones that basically mimic a, a mushroom in the forest. Wow. In order to get pollinated, yeah. Wow. So that's how they draw the insects over there. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, since you brought up Ecuador, I'd love to hear more about this exciting thing that you did. Um, you recently helped protect a thousand acre plot in the cloud forest of Northwest Ecuador alongside fellow youth council members uh, who are part of Reserva, the Youth Land Trust. Uh, tell us that story. Yeah. Um, Reserva, the Youth Land Trust, is an, an amazing nonprofit organization. Uh, I came across them three years ago, I think, when I was at CSU and I was trying to find, like, a way to actually help the world <laughs> and felt kind of stuck there and kind of helpless. Um, and I found them just scrolling on Instagram and they were like, we're trying to create our first youth or the first uh, fully youth-funded um, nature preserve um, so that youth have a way of protecting biodiversity uh, when their governments are, aren't directly co like conserving um, these super threatened species and ecosystems. And so I was like, well, this is perfect. And my family's from Ecuador. And so I need to join this. And of course, they were just super welcoming. And Callie Broadus, the founder, was amazing and generous. And we, um, we vibed really well. And so eventually, um, after working with them and playing a bunch of things out, um, they sent me to do a little expedition, a couple expeditions, but also a month at this reserve called Dracula Reserve, where the Dracula orchids are found, a, a lot of different species. Of course, there's species that are found in other reserves and in other countries. But they sent me to this place for a month to collect fungi. And in collecting fungi, photographing them, photographing the insects and the frogs and everything that I found interesting and 
sharing that with my followers on Instagram, social media, also sharing my experience with family members and friends and uh, opening up my own little fundraisers and also helping with the fundraising with Reserva and all the other youth council members, we were able to fundraise, man, I think it was over $100,000, um, a bit more. And in the end, we conserved um, two plots, um, and the second plot was the largest of 1,050 acres. So that took a few years, and I'm super proud of that work, and I have contributed to the National Herbarium with about 100 mushroom specimens, um, and some of which aren't even described in science yet. Like, I've had researchers email me or call me and be like, where, I saw that you collected this specimen. I saw that, I found it on iNaturalist where you uploaded your observations. Um, where can I access this specimen? And luckily I had permits through my connections with Callie and her connections with people in Ecuador and the science community to get permits. Um, and so they're all preserved and dehydrated and labeled in the herb herbarium fungarium. Great. Yeah, and so they can access those specimens and nice. use them to describe a species. Excellent. So you're listening to My Own Two Hands. This is a public affairs program about sustainability. We're with Andy Better today. He is an entomologist and mycologist and student at Colorado Mountain College. So um, very curious to hear more about this. So the species that you found, um, was that part of the, uh, the work of uh, sort of um, documenting the, the importance of this land and the need to conserve it? Yeah, uh, it's super important to document as many species as you can. I mean, with, with herps or uh, reptiles and amphibians, um, there's not as many species as in the groups like insects and fungi, and they're also less studied. Um, but with herps, you can uh, photograph, find all these new species that are highly threatened, and um, I guess you could say more charismatic, and that uh, means that either you can uh, either these species are already like IUCN red listed as threatened or uh, very close to endangered. And so that basically um, helps you conserve that area because um, like the government is more, the government needs to conserve places that have IUCN red listed species. But with stuff like fungi and insects, there aren't very many uh, species on the IUCN red list just because they're understudied and they're, I guess they're a little harder to study. Um, you mm -hmm. know, a mushroom mm -hmm. is most of its life within its substrate until it decides to create a fruiting body and reproduce and pokes its little <laughs> reproductive organs <laughs> out of the soil. Right. Um, and insects are small and they're so diverse and mm -hmm. there's many that look alike. But yeah, really I was documenting this and also helping other researchers with their research so that we could protect this area and, and give more of a reason for why we should protect such a mm -hmm. biodiverse mm -hmm. place. Yeah, beautiful. 
So we recently talked about Wade Davis, uh, the mm-hmm. famous ethnobotanist, uh, and he actually makes the argument that the human species needs to preserve forests because the medicines that we need for all the illnesses mm-hmm. are there. We just haven't discovered them all yet. Yeah, We've discovered some of them, but there's so much more out there that we don't know about. And so it is foolish to destroy forests mm-hmm. because they, that, that contains the remedies of the maladies that we're still looking to heal. Def- definitely, yeah. And... He also talks a lot about how we've lost so much of the the cultures uh, that have lived in these places, um, and preserving them is like the last uh, thing that we can do, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so that maybe we can gain that knowledge again somehow. In, in the Dracula Reserve, uh, there's an indigenous reserve actually right next to Dracula Reserve, the Awa Indigenous Reserve. And the Awa, uh, a lot of them lived in Colombia, and because of the violence, they had to come across the border into Ecuador. And uh, the elders actually didn't want to leave their land because they knew, you know, they knew so much of how to live there and all the species, and um, it was part of their identity. And so the elders stayed, the young people came, and if you lose your elders, you lose so much knowledge mm. of your ecosystem. Um, and so there are still people in the Awa Indigenous Reserve that are very much in the forest. And then there's a lot that um, have built a city and uh, started doing agriculture. Unfortunately, like uh, people from the big cities came and started selling them their agricultural like chemical products mm. and teaching them how to grow naranjilla in a monoculture and just deplete the soil and destroy forests. So. Well, you bring up a really important point about connections with elders. And speaking of that, um, I wanted to make sure that people knew that um, you're going to be sharing more of your story and your knowledge as well as uh, many of your photographs. Uh, this evening, October 23rd at 7 p.m. at the Carbondale Public Library as part of the Western Colorado Mycological Association's monthly speaker series, which is free and open to the public. So this is a pretty exciting new club, Western Colorado Mycological Association. Uh, they aim to foster a community of individuals who share a passion for fungi and their essential place in the natural world. So they set up programs, events, and partnerships, and their mission is to elevate mycology and provide uh, mycological resources in Western Colorado. Um, So you're a member. I'm a member. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for for helping us learn more. Uh, Tell us about uh, your participation in in the group. Yeah, I, I came to the Western Slope over the summer, and moved here to go to college, and <laughs> I'm super happy that this club started recently, um, and I was like immediately able to find my mycological community, which was perfect. Um, I went on an awesome foray with Hamilton and, and Jake and some other people, and we found uh, Heresium corolloides, <laughs> <laughs> which was like 
crazy to me to find that i've never found a heresium uh, also known as lion's mane yeah yeah it's related to lion's mane um and it looks it looks pretty much like lion's mane but it's a little bit more like hmm, hard to say like branchy corally mm-hmm. um and yeah it tasted so good and i'm sure it was very medicinal for me and my friends cooked it up in a curry um i've also like Worked with Matteo a little bit uh, from the from the club, and he has a great lab. And he's I've brought in specimens to like clone from the wild, and um, so lots of good collaborations and fun events. And I've met some great people. Yeah. Right. Well, we're gonna have to uh, invite those folks uh, onto future episodes of my own two hands. You should. Yeah. So um, any last thoughts you want to leave our audience with? Any uh, Salaspi wisdom or how do we get through this uh, trying time? Yeah, I would love to share some of my thoughts of um, like what I was talking about earlier, this, this problem with the Naranjilla, the monoculture in Ecuador, um, kind of relates to Salaspis in a way. And Basically what happens is when a monoculture is grown, the soil gets depleted, which exposes it to harsh environments, harsh sun and rain, and this causes landslides. And this community in Ecuador was ravaged by landslides. They were stuck sometimes because the landslides took out their roads. And um, actually one of the mushrooms that loves to grow on landslides is psilocybe mushrooms. So in this reserve, on a landslide, I found three species of psilocybe on one landslide. And psilocybes, just like they kind of rewire your brain, rewire the, the network in your brain, they kind of do that with their mycelium in the soil. Mm. Um, right after a landslide, they're restructuring the soil. They're taking advantage of these nutrients that are now broken off in, in the soil. They're eating that, fruiting. And really that restructures the soil in a way so that more mushrooms and more plants and uh, eventually whole forests can grow on that soil. Um, And so I really believe that psilocybes have a way of restructuring our lives. Um, And yeah, I think that they really could help us out in, in like figuring out different solutions to our problems. Um, and all mushrooms really can do this. All mushrooms are magic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, here's to rewirement. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Yeah. I can make peace on earth with my own two hands.